evening I'd like to explore what it might be for us to have a beginner's mind, both in our practice and in our lives. It's a story of a young man who, on his way home from work one day, was involved in quite a serious car crash in which he sustained a number of very severe head injuries that were severe enough, actually, to put him into a coma for a number of days. And after these days of being in a coma, he came around, he woke up, and he realized in waking up that he didn't know who he was. He didn't remember who he was. And he didn't remember anything about his life. Now, as you can imagine, that not knowing anything was accompanied by quite a degree of anxiety and fear. But his doctors reassured him that they were, they were pretty confident that this was a very temporary memory loss. And you know, his memory would soon return, and he felt a little eased by that. And over the following days, he was also comforted and reassured by a number of quite kind people, he had no idea who they were, who came to visit him and spend some time with him. And one of these people was um, this elderly woman who would come for hours every day who seemed to know who he was, even if he didn't. And he found that she brought with him a very comforting presence that she would at times read to him or tell him stories about his life or sometimes just sit quietly with him. And he found that in her undemanding presence that he really was quite able to, to share and to articulate many of the anxieties and fears he was experiencing. And sure enough, after, after some time went by, his memory began to return in fragments. He began to have pictures about his life, about his past, about his friends, about his world. He began to remember who he was. And also at the same time, he began to remember who everybody else was. And, of course, this gentle and undemanding elderly woman he'd felt so close to was his mother. Um, his mother, who, as he began to remember, he remembered spending countless hours, actually, arguing and struggling with her, avoiding her, um, and having really a very, a very conflicted relationship with her. The thing that we found really amazing was that as his memory began to return and he remembered all these, this history, he also discovered the capacity to pick up the arguments and continue the old disputes as if there had been no interruption whatsoever. And those same disputes would continue with her ending often in tears, with him seething in frustration, and once in a while, he would remember those very blessed and intimate moments when there really was no history between them. Now, amnesia is not generally recommended as being the most favorable way of cultivating a beginner's mind. 
But cultivating a beginner's mind is actually one of the very crucial pieces of learning entering, how to enter into each moment, how to enter into our relationships, how to enter into life without prejudice and without the veils of history and image and judgment. Cultivating a beginner's mind is one of the crucial pieces of learning how to enter into our lives anew, really free of all of the fears and the resentments and resistances that are a children, a child of so much of the history we carry. It is the beginner's mind that allows us, frees us, really, to begin again in each moment. It is the beginner's mind that really teaches us how to greet every moment in our lives with an open-hearted welcome, how to see ourselves, how to see other people, how to see our lives anew. And we might reflect for a moment on really how many thoughts, how many ideas, how many plans we've already had in this life. We might reflect on the countless conversations we've already had with other people and with ourselves and the number of times, the amazing thing, the number of times we've replayed those same conversations. We might reflect on the number of sights and sounds and smells and tastes and touch we've already experienced in our lives and how much experience and knowledge we have accumulated. And we remember a lot of this. Incredible, we remember a lot of it. We store it. We carry it. Sometimes we hoard it like a treasure. And all of this that we have experienced so far up to this point in our life, it is our story. It is the story of our lives. It's the story we have about ourselves. It's the story we have about other people. And it's the story we have of all life. And sometimes I think when we reflect on all of this knowing, it would almost seem like, blessing, uh, like forgetting would be a kind of blessing. And yet, even if we were able to forget, we would, of course, continue to have more thoughts, more ideas, more plans, more knowledge, more conversations. To have no story at all is not necessarily a path of wisdom. Learning how to be free in our stories, learning how to be free in all stories may very well be a profound path of wisdom. Within our stories, with all their complexity, all their busyness, all their joys and all their sorrows, it is really here that we are asked to learn what it means to cultivate a beginner's mind. To acknowledge that wisdom is not somewhere else. The wisdom is not dependent on transcending our stories. But wisdom is really founded on learning to meet our stories, our lives, as our teachers, as our guides to 
true awakening. What is it that we find in our stories? What kind of wisdom? Well, you know, obviously in our, through our stories, all this knowledge, all this experience, all this information that we've gathered in our lives, there's a kind of practical wisdom that comes, isn't there? I mean, that's very necessary. I mean, I know how to learn. I know how to read a map. You know, I know how to drive a car. I, I know how to cook a meal. We know how to do all these kind of very necessary and practical things we've learned from our stories. But there's also a deeper wisdom that is found primarily through our stories. The deeper wisdom that we learn about what really leads to happiness and what leads to sorrow. The deeper wisdom we learn from our stories about what leads to conflict and what leads to peace and to calm. From the mistakes we make in our life, the times we stumble, this is actually where we learn new pathways of well-being. From the times that we've got lost, neglected or abandoned ourselves. These are the places that we've learnt the lessons about how to return to balance. Now, no one outside of ourselves can actually teach us that wisdom. No one can substitute for us in our stories and what we learn from them. And when we come to, what we really come to see is that no matter how many, you know, it doesn't matter how many prescriptions or prescriptions or formulas we have about how to be happy and how to be intimate and how to be content, unless we really, really learn from our lives, unless we really, really learn from our stories, then all of those formulas and prescriptions are really no more than thoughts and ideas that don't have much transforming power. Being wise and open, being receptive to our stories. Learning is about really learning the lessons of freedom. Because when we, we really see that when we get lost in our stories, we appreciate the power that they hold or seem to hold to really endlessly deny the beginner's mind. We also begin to see that it is the beginner's mind that is really the source of wisdom that allows us to make new beginnings in our lives. Instead of endlessly repeating the past. We can sometimes very much experience the way that we carry our stories with us, almost like a stone in the mind that pervades the present in a way in which very little can be seen anew, can be seen freshly. Because we also understand that our stories not only carry the lessons of wisdom, that our stories are also carrying our fears and our anxieties and our insecurities. And the self-consciousness and the judgments that are really born of a past that has already gone by, and yet that is at times carried with us on a moment-to-moment level into each encounter, each sound, each sight, into ourselves. Carrying the past 
in a way that leads us to say, I know. I know you. I know myself. Now, the beginner's mind really has its own vocabulary in which each moment, each encounter is greeted with a very open question. Almost the question of, what is this? You know, there are Zen traditions that work really just with this one question. That's the whole practice. That whatever arises, whatever sound, whatever thought, whatever memory, whatever image, whatever happens in the body, there is just this one question that greets it. What is this? It's an interesting practice. It's a practice of investigation, a practice of assuming nothing. It is a practice of not accepting really any of our conclusions to be the truth. Now, the expert's mind that is somewhat bound by its history and by its knowing, by its images, by its past, really has a different vocabulary. And one of the most frequently used words in the vocabulary of the expert's mind is the word again. You notice how, often, how when we use the word again, it often comes with a kind of sigh? Again. This thought again. This person again. This sitting again. This sound again. It's such a powerful word, this word again. It actually has such a long story in this very simple word. That very simple, simple word often carries for us this long story that says, you know, I know exactly who this person is. You know, I know exactly what this sound is. I know what this sight is. I know what this memory is. I know what this sensation is. I've been here before. And having been here before, we think we know it. I like it. I don't like it. I want more. I want less. I'm afraid of it. I'm bored with it. All held within this word again. It's a voice of knowing, or at least thinking that we know. And what happens when that word again appears? is that we're very often saying farewell to any sense of mystery, any sense of wonder, any openness to learning. That when that word again appears, we are often saying farewell to our capacity really to be touched by the moment and saying farewell to the beginner's mind. It's very hard for us in the presence of that word again, to really make new beginnings in that moment. Because we can experience that in that word again, this kind of tentacles of the past that is carrying that word again, the familiarity of our associations, our strategies, our reactions, our responses that are born of the past. You know, you think, you know, we've only been here, you know, one day so far. And we may have already encountered the times that we're saying again. Mm-hmm. Perhaps we go out of the meditation realm, you know, and we go to put on our shoes. Have you ever noticed that person who keeps appearing in front of you, putting on their shoes just as about, 
you're about to get yours, we do it very slowly. So they're again, you know. Why are they doing that again? And why are they getting in my way? The next time we see them, how do we see them? How do you see that person when you encounter them in the dining room or somewhere else in the building? There's that insensitive person again. <laughs> There's that mindless person again. We wake up in the morning. You know, the sunshine. Oh, another hot day again. I know I'm not going to be able to meditate. I know I'm going to fall asleep again on the cushion. It's too difficult to meditate. We walk outside. A mosquito bites us. Oh, not that again. You know? Why is that happening to me again? Sometimes we sit and how many new thoughts have you really had today? And how many of them have you really seen a number of times before? A familiar conversation or a familiar image pops up into your mind. And we say, oh, not this again. How many times? We find ourselves getting impatient. How do I get rid of it? How do I make myself? How do I make someone else? How do I make the world different than it is? So that I can be happy. So that I can be at peace. So that I can be mindful. So that I can be free. We find that with the word again and across the associations, there comes with it some of the old strategies, the familiar reactions arise. We want to change the landscape of our mind or we want to change the landscape of our world so that we could have some new thoughts and some new images and some new sights and some new sounds. And we may forget, actually, that happiness and peace and freedom that we seek for doesn't depend on changing the landscape of our mind or our world, but it may rely upon us having new eyes in which to see that landscape. It may mean that happiness and peace relies upon us having finding the new eyes in which to receive and listen and see and be touched and greet each moment anew. We see that sometimes this desire to know or the kind of knowing that uh, saturates, floods our mind. The knowing that's expressed in the again or the judgments or the images, sometimes it seems like that flood of knowing arises out of habit. And sometimes we also find that we almost carefully hoard or treasure that knowing almost as a way of protecting ourselves from harm or protecting ourselves from making mistakes or from being hurt. Sometimes I think it can feel like this body of knowing, this body of image, this body of association is a kind of security because we might feel that, you know, like if I really know another person, you know, if I really know this event, if I really know this thing, if I really feel I know myself, I know how to react. I know what strategy to use. I know how to cope with my world. I, I know how to, to manage my world somehow. And sometimes we can sense the way that some of that knowing is an expression of fear that 
in reality, doesn't protect us. In reality, it binds us to the past that perhaps has been hurtful and fearful. But it may feel like the knowing and the association, the familiarity, defends us against that place of not knowing, which might seem even more fearful. How much of this great accumulation of image and knowing and association do we really need? How much of it really helps us? How much of it really serves us well? I mean, we do clearly see that knowing and insight are not the same thing. In our lives, some of that knowing does serve us well. In our life experience, we, we do experience, you know, situations of danger. Times where we may be hurt, we, we do experience pain, we do experience sorrow. And sometimes it's caused by others and sometimes we inflict it on ourselves. And if we truly, really see and understand the causes of sorrow and the causes of suffering and pain, of course we don't repeat them. We don't expose ourselves to those causes and conditions because we understand the relationship between pain and its source. And that's a very powerful insight that expresses itself in discriminating wisdom, that expresses itself in wise choice, the root of which is not fear, but the root of which is wisdom that knows when to say no and when to avoid. In this tradition, there's a wonderful analogy that's used The Buddha talks about a man or a woman walking along a road who sees a great river. It's near bank dangerous and frightening. It's far bank safe. So he or she collects collects sticks and foliage and makes a raft and paddles across the river and reaches the other shore. Now let's suppose that after one reaches the other shore, we were to pick up the raft and put it on our head and walk around with it on our head wherever we go. Now, would we be using the raft in an appropriate way? No. A reasonable person would realize that the raft has been very useful to them in crossing the river and arriving safely on the other shore. But that once we've arrived, it's proper to leave the raft behind and walk on without it. This is using the raft appropriately. In the same way, all truths should be used to cross over. They should not be held on to once you've arrived. You should let go of even the most profound insight or the most wholesome teaching, all the more so the unwholesome and unhelpful. We can see our life and the story of our life as a rest that we learn from, we understand, and then we let go. We're not really required to carry that learning, even the most important insight into the next moment as a kind of security blanket to protect us. We can trust, we can learn, and we can let go. And in not holding, we're open. There is a beginner's mind, that capacity to be present. In the Michelangelo, once after he'd completed the Sistine Chapel, 
of course, you know, finally people said to me, this is the pinnacle of your career, you've done it, you know, you've finished, this is it. His response was to say, I'm still learning. And perhaps this insight or this capacity to be in that place of feeling that we're still learning, this might be something worth holding on to even for a little while. To be able to say, I'm still learning, I'm still learning about you. I'm still learning about myself. I'm still learning about this moment. This word, again, does appear, you know, but it doesn't have to signal a cessation of learning. We can see sometimes when we don't feel that we're still learning, it's a kind of disconnection, you know. When, when, our, when our connection with the moment gets very filled with knowing, with story, with association, we can feel the way actually that we depart from the moment, the way that we depart from another person. I mean, when you meet that mindless, intolerant person, insensitive person in the dining room, are you still learning? Or have we said, have we actually departed and disconnected to saying, I know you, there is no more to learn. We can even flee from ourselves. We see the same thing, you know. When you sit and you kind of, you know, get lost in your meditation, you know, you know, you space out sometimes. You, you depart from yourself into fantasy or image. How often when we say in doing that, I did it again. You know, I'm a failure. I can't do this just like everything else in my life. We're not present anymore. We don't have the beginner's mind. And we can really see that in the conclusions of the expert's mind, it's a kind of dismissiveness, isn't there? We banish. We banish sights and thoughts and people from our heart as we withdraw attention from them. And sometimes that withdrawal of attention is governed by fear and sometimes simply by the habit of judging and the habit of labeling. And so Gregory once said that every concept grasped by the mind becomes an obstacle in the quest to those who search. It doesn't imply, of course, that there should be no concepts in the mind. It doesn't imply that we should have no words and no stories in the mind. They do arise, of course they do. The mind loves to know. It's what happens when they arise that's really important. Do we consent to them? Do we confirm them? Do we uh, agree that they are the whole truth of this moment, parading out our associations? Or can we let some of those concepts be more like a whisper, just a whisper that passes through our mind and stay connected, stay interested? Stay willing to learn. And then we are taught by the moment. I think sometimes the security that our judgments or our knowing seems to offer is that when we really feel that we know someone or know something, we maybe don't feel any need to change in ourselves. You know, it's like saying... If I know someone to be really annoying and an irritating and, irrit you know, offensive person, you know, if I put that really fixed in my mind, I 
actually feel a little better, don't I, about being annoyed? Yeah. I feel happier about being irritated and offended, you know, if I'm really pretty convinced that this is a really annoying person. I don't really, maybe in that moment, you know, in the security of that moment, I may not feel in myself really any need to find a deeper sense of generosity or tolerance or acceptance or patience. Because after all, I know they're irritating. You know, so it's, it's more reasonable to be irritated than to be generous or patient. If I know myself, you know, to be, to be wounded or helpless or worthless or inadequate, if I feel very confirmed in that identity, I may feel no yearning in myself, no search for freedom. Even when the knowing is painful, it can be a kind of security. To make new beginnings in our lives and to really abide with a beginner's mind in each moment, we're perhaps really asked to deeply acknowledge when knowing is not wisdom, but is in truth a kind of suffering in itself. It's not just a personal freedom that is really found through, through being able to find the beginner's mind, but the beginner's mind is actually also really a generous heart. It's really a generous heart that really is willing to free other people and to free the world and to free the sights and the sounds that we receive from some of the chains of our knowing. I mean, when you think about it, how many of the historical feuds and ill will and anger and separation in our world or in our own lives is perpetuated and sustained by the way in which we carefully guard judgment and knowing on the basis of what has gone by. So the beginner's mind is really a generous heart. It's really willing to liberate another person from the imprisonment or the confines of our knowing. It's, it's interested and forgiving beyond the confines of conclusions. We really begin to explore that in this practice. We really see that the robin that we listen to outside of the window, you know, today, is actually maybe not the same robin or the same way that we heard it this morning or yesterday. We're not the same person who listened. The breath we breathe in this moment is not exactly the same breath as the breath we breathed in the last moment nor do we breathe it in the same way. You know, recently, sometimes like all the cells in our bodies replace themselves every seven years. Like seven years ago, none of this was here. That's amazing, isn't it? Like, no, I mean, it's not just like it changed into something else. It wasn't even here. Like, this is all new, quite new, actually. Isn't that wonderful? You know, seven years can be something quite different again. And yet we, how we get stuck in this body image, don't we? I know this body. We think we know it. The mind that we experience today with its thoughts is not the same mind that thought them yesterday. We're not the same body, not the same heart. We can learn this, this great art of openness, this great art of stillness in which we are really touched. As Zen Master Musso once said, there is great enlightenment when there is great wonder. 
There is great enlightenment when there is great wonder. A cultivating not knowing, cultivating the beginner's mind really does ask for a very powerful attention, a powerful connection with each moment. New beginnings are always possible for us. And in each of those new beginnings, I feel we really do get a glimpse of freedom. Each of those new beginnings, it's, it's not a denial of history and it's not a denial of the wisdom that is gained. But in a way, each new beginning releases us from history and we may discover that it is joy in itself. That those new beginnings are really moments of possibilities, of really traveling new pathways in our lives. Even those small moments in meditation, you know, when we, when we wake up from a dream, to really have the willingness to begin anew, to really see the next breath as a new breath, as a new moment, it releases us in that moment from the story, doesn't it? Because in those moments when we wake up from the dream, from a dream in meditation, we do have a choice, don't we? I mean, we can really do a story on ourselves here. You know, I'm such a terrible meditator. You know, I blew it again. I'm always spaced out. You know, I've always been spaced out. I'll never be able to do this. Do we need this? I mean, does it serve us well? You know, one of the amazing things that it's so important to learn about judgment, you know, is it's really how much energy we can put into something that produces so little. You know? I mean, what does judgment really offer us? There's another possibility in that moment of waking up from a dream, which is actually the possibility of happiness. I can let that go. I can begin anew. I can be here in this moment as I have never been here before. And that release from the story, it brings its own, it brings its own freedom. You know, we see this more and more as, as being a kind of, what happens here is a microcosm of what happens in our lives. I mean, I think all of us probably have some ancient dispute in our lives that we have with another person. You know, probably all of us have got some favorite enemy out there, you know, that we've argued with our whole lives, you know, or that we... We carry within us a sense of ill will towards or aversion towards. When does it begin to heal? When does it begin to heal? Not only outwardly, but also inwardly. But surely in that moment when we find the willingness to begin anew, when we start in our lives to choose freedom rather than suffering, to know that we have the capacity to do that. What about the stories we have about ourselves, the arguments that we have about ourselves, you know, the long history, the long lineage of image that we have about ourselves. When do we kind of break the continuum between past and present and future of what I used to be, what I am now and what I will become because of what I am now and because of what I used to be? When do we break the continuum? When we find the willingness to release ourselves from the story and to begin anew. And surely we really begin to see that just because something has a long history, it doesn't mean that it has an equally long future.
not in our lives, not in our relationships, not in our meditation. That willingness, certainly to begin anew, it does involve a certain amount of risk. In a way, it involves a leap of faith. It involves, it is an invitation to dive very deeply into not knowing. But the alternative? What's the alternative? Well, we could just keep on in our lives, just dragging the past around after us, like some unwieldy burden, you know, that we wrestle with and argue with. That's the alternative. We can make that leap of faith. And of course, it does ask us, in making new beginnings, we are really asked to learn what it means to have to let go to let go of what has gone by. And this is a practice of learning to let go of what has gone by. You know, we do it in every moment. That breath has gone by, that thought has gone by, that image has gone by, that sensation has gone by, that sitting has gone by. It's a practice. Everything we do in this practice, we are learning how to let go. To let go of our knowing, our judgments. Sometimes that seems very hard. Sometimes, you know, it can seem very hard. But in truth, carrying and holding and grasping and clinging is actually much harder and much more painful than letting go is. Who do we think feels freer? You know, who would we think feels happier? The woman or the man who's walking through their life carrying their raft on their head wherever they go? You know, or the woman or the man who has put the raft down because it no longer serves them well and walks on unencumbered. This is really not just a good idea or theory. You can try it for yourself. Here you have seven days to try it for yourself, to look at those moments when you're carrying your raft around. You know, see how you feel. You know, do you feel happy? Do you feel content? Do you feel free? You know, look at the moments when you've had a really good bout of of self-judgment and dwelling on the past and guilt and how things should have been and how I used to be, you know. Come out of an hour of that. You know, take a whole hour. Just do it, you know. Just judge all you can, you know, obsess all you can, you know. Do a guilt trip for a good hour, you know. Come out of it at the end. How do you feel? Refreshed? You say, that was, you know, that was great. That was really liberating, you know. That was really freeing, you know, I'm really at peace. No. You know, see what happens, you know, when you, when you blow it for a moment and you carry that raft into the next moment. Oh, am I going to do the same thing again, you know? You know, there I am, I'm doing it again. How do you feel? Experiment a little bit with this during the retreat. You know, notice the moments when you're walking around with the raft. Notice if you can put it down. Notice how you feel when you put it down. Really sense that in yourself. Really sense, you know, it might just be a moment. You know, when you're in there wrestling with somebody in your life, in your mind, you know, how they should be, what I should have said, what they said, how it didn't work out. Notice if you can just release it. Just let it go. What that feels like. 
I mean, does it feel like suffering? Really invite you to explore that for yourself. Does it feel like suffering? Or does it feel like freedom and well-being? This is what we mean about learning from our stories. I mean, it doesn't matter how many times somebody might say this. We need to be so interested in the stories that come to us in the moment, how we're learning, how we're touching them, how we're greeting them, where are we carrying, where are we putting down, and to really sense for ourselves what is the cause of sorrow, what is the cause of joy, what is the cause of contractedness, what is the cause of freedom. These most important lessons of our lives we learn in this moment. We don't learn somewhere else. We learn here. We learn in this moment that we're really willing to be awake, to be interested, to be present. And we see the way that we are changed by those lessons. There's a Spanish writer who once said, the only real joy in this world is to begin. If we could take just a moment quietly together. 